This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Good morning. I'm like a wizard. I arrive exactly when I intend to. If you are new with us, I want to say hello and introduce myself. My name is Dee Dee Bacon, and uh, uh, I'm the senior minister around here. I have that honor and privilege uh, to serve in that capacity. I um, just want to say thank you. Thank you for uh, being here on site, and thank you for being with us online. Uh, I want you to know it is a... It's humbling, and I counted an honor that you would uh, give the gift of your time and attention to hear what I have to say from my wrestling with God's Word uh, regarding um, what He says to me and hopefully then what He will say to you, uh, particularly in these times and uh, these circumstances. So, when we were planning for our, the series, we were thinking about a title and thinking what to address, and at the time, uh, we were in 2020, and uh, the story of 2020 was one trouble, one crisis, one issue, over and over and over, ever-changing and always surprising. And so we said, well, what kind, of, uh, what kind of thing can we, what kind of title do we need to have? And so we came up with the title, Don't Waste This Crisis. And the intention was to say, okay, we are in crisis, but what is it that God's Word has to say to us in addressing this? Where does God speak to us so that we might know that these, this, this season is, though evil days, this season is an opportunity to exercise the wisdom that God gives so that we can make the most of it by His power and by His strength. And so we came up with the title, Don't Waste This Crisis. And I have to say, boy, do we know about crisis? In the past few days, the past weeks, the past months, past year, we have dealt with crisis after crisis after crisis that perhaps none of us have ever, ever gone through or could ever imagine we would be going through. And so in our pursuit to seek out encouragement so that we might not waste this crisis, we landed, our team did, our teaching team, we landed on the book of Hebrews, and specifically, we went to chapter 11. Hebrews was a letter written to Christians in crisis. These were individuals who were primarily Jewish in nationality, had come out of Judaism, hence the title of the book, the Hebrews, and they were undergoing crisis. They were facing difficulty and persecution. In fact, you get the sense that their livelihoods were threatened, their futures were shaken, and they were under the pressure, under the gun. 
simply because they were following Jesus, simply because they were Christians. And Hebrews is an encouragement for them to not abandon their faith because that is what they were considering to do. In the crisis, they were considering walking away from their faith in Jesus and returning to their practices of Judaism. And so Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith, specifically faith in Jesus the Messiah, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When we are shaken by crisis, what God can provide as promised in Hebrews, through faith, what God provides is confidence and assurance for life. So, my kids have got me into this game. It's an, a game where you have to download an app, and then it's a community game where you sit around and you play it together on your phones. It's called Among Us. I don't know if you're familiar with this game. Well, the way it works is you download the app and you get this little dude that's you and represents you, and then you're put on a spaceship. And then at the start of the game, you're assigned one of two roles. Either you are a crew member or you are an imposter. Crew members, their job is to run around the spaceship and find the different places where they have an assignment and complete the task. And if all the crew members complete the task, then the game is won. The imposter, their role is to prevent that happening. And the way they can do that is a number of ways. They can sabotage the ship, which means then the crew members have to respond to stop the sabotage. Or they can find you by yourself in a room and kill you. Yeah, I know, it's pretty graphic, and chop off heads and all that fun stuff. Now, the way you counteract the imposters as a crew member, well, you've got a number of options. First of all, you can witness a, an imposter killing a crew member, and then you call a meeting, that then you discuss it, or you can see a dead body in a room and call a meeting where you discuss it with the others around you, or you can push a button which then calls an emergency meeting. When you have a meeting then, this is the fun part, you sit around with your group, and I you know, sit around with my, my kids, and you discuss who you think the imposter is. And this is where it gets interesting because you begin to discover those people that you thought you knew, how well they can lie. Because the imposter has to really throw you off the scent and argue why she isn't the imposter and, and, and try to persuade you that they, they aren't the imposter or whatever. And it's, it's a fun banter back and forth. But then after a while, the time runs out and you have to vote and you decide whether or not to vote for that person as the imposter or not. And so when everyone votes, whoever has the most votes against them gets jettisoned off the ship. And sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. And the game continues. Now, one of the things that my kids started saying when we were going in this banter about determining who the imposter is, they would say this, 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 this uh, they would say, you're sus. Oh, you sound sus. It's sus. And I'm like, what is, what is, what is sus? Is this a new word you people are creating? I don't understand that. Sounds kind of like a 
curse word than me. Anyway, um, <laughs> don't be sus. Well, sus is short for suspicious. Suspicious. And the game is designed where you get together in a meeting, you put the pressure on, you present your evidence, and you hope that through the behavior, the sus behavior of those who are accused as imposters, that they will show themselves to be the imposter so that you can vote them out. If you're good, you don't act sus as the imposter. This season of burden and difficulty, this season of crisis, has made me keenly aware there are a lot of things that we may even hold true, we may hold dear, we may hold as foundational, we may hold as life-giving, but there are a lot of things in this world that is sus. This season has brought to light the truth that there are imposters out there in this world that are seeking to bring not life, but death. And though we might believe that they are the way by which we're to live and to pursue happiness and life and wealth and good things, those things are sus because they originate from this world and everything that originates in this world has a problem. No matter how good the idea, no matter how beneficial it is to the world at this time, all things that originate in this world have a problem, and that problem is they have no answer to death. Everything in this world that originates from this world that is created by man, for man, as solutions is sus. Political solutions... Economic solutions, medical solutions, philosophical solutions, psychological solutions, financial solutions, all things that are created by man for man are sus because they cannot overcome the crisis of death. And when it all comes down to it, all of us are seeking to avoid the crisis of death. And now we come to the proclamation of Scripture. And we come to Hebrews chapter 11. And the Hebrew writer introduces to us to a man named Enoch that we don't know much about. In fact, all we have is a few verses in Genesis chapter 5, and the most interesting verse is verse 24. This is what it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. All we know about this guy is that he walked faithfully with God, and I have to assume because his great acts of faith, his great acts of, of obedience to God, his great acts of, of you know, help and, and ministry, they're not listed. I got to assume that this is a guy that just lived his day-to-day -day life faithfully to God. His daily steps were dedicated to God. And because of that, we're told that God took him away. He did not die. 
it's this that our Hebrew writer focuses on as an encouragement to us who struggle in this world facing the crisis of death. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. This is what he says regarding Enoch. Hebrews 11, 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, that is God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, I'd like for us to do a deep dive into these couple of verses so that we might get to a place where we have the Scripture meet us where we are at this time and this place and in our walk of faith. And so the way I'm going to do it is I'm just going to do a series of Q&A, right? I'm going to ask a question and provide an answer and comment about that. But this is Q&A that's based on Scripture, and this is one way in which you can really uh, use to unpack passages of Scripture so that they might come alive for you. First question, what was the crisis that faced Enoch? Well, according to the text, we see that the focus of the text is that Enoch was taken away before he died. The crisis, therefore, he faced is the crisis that we're all afraid to face, the crisis that we're all destined to face, death. Enoch is highlighted as an example of someone who lives by faith but does not die. He lived his life walking with God, and he continued to walk into eternity. So the next question, well, then how did that happen? How was the crisis of death averted? Well, we look to the text. We read what he says in the short verses that we have, and it says, Enoch did not die because God intervened. Now, we're, told, we're not told how God intervened. We're not given the details of God's intervention, whether or not he took him in the sky, whether or not he sent a chariot. One of his prophets were taken up in that way. Maybe he escaped death kind of like I was watching Return of the Jedi the other day. And you remember that scene where Yoda is laying on his deathbed and he's, he kind of breathes his loss and he just disappears? Maybe it happened that way. I don't know. The point of the matter is this. It doesn't matter how it happened. What matters is that it did happen. Enoch did not die because God intervened. God took him before he had to face the crisis of death. And so the question we need to be asking is not how it happened, but why. Why did Enoch get saved from death? Why did God intervene and rescue Enoch from death? Why did he do that? Well, Hebrew writer explains this for us. He says, Enoch was right with God through faith. This is what he says. He says, he, Enoch, was commended as one who pleased God. Enoch was a man that pleased God. He was right with God. 
But the means by which he was given righteousness, treated as one who pleased God, was not by his works, not by his good deeds, but by his faith. And at this place, the writer will point out this truth, a truth for every single one of us. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So now we need to talk about faith then. And we need to ask, okay, then, what does this faith look like? What does is, what is the faith of Enoch look like? Well, he explains this in the verses. He says, Enoch lived believing in God's existence and trusting in God's leadership. Enoch lived his day-to-day living believing in God's existence and trusting in God's leadership. Anyone who comes to Him, anyone who comes to God, anyone who's made right with God, anyone who wants to be pleasing to God, must believe He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's what the Hebrew text says. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, think of it this way. Do you live your day-to-day life as if God exists? If someone was to get out their phone and follow you everywhere you went, I mean everywhere, no privacy, everywhere you went, and observed your conversations, recorded them, and recorded your interactions with your spouse, with your children, with your coworkers, recorded you doing your work, recorded you scrolling on the internet and making comments, recorded you in the management of your spending, recorded you in your day-to-day life. If such a person recorded you, full access, no privacy, would the contents of that recording be enough to convict you of someone who believes in God's existence, of someone who claims Jesus is my forgiver and my leader. His faith was a faith by which his day-to-day demonstrated that he believed God existed and is real and in his life, and his day-to-day was orientated towards seeking God. That word seeking, what does that mean? Well, when I think of seeking, I think about losing something and trying to find it. And when I lose something that I want, I go nuts until I find it. And I look everywhere, and I tear things apart, and I think back as to where I've been, and I follow up with, with going over that, and I look, and I look, and I look, and I pursue that. Well, that is the kind of commitment that is demonstrated in, by, by Enoch in his day-to-day, seeking God. And that's why I say this is, this is looking to God's leadership, affirming His reality in my life and seeking to live by His will and by His word, letting God be my leader in my day-to-day. And so if that's faith... And if that's the means by which we see the crisis of death provides 
the place where God intervenes. This question lands in our lap right here, right now. We have to make a decision. And here's the question that we have to make a decision on. Do you want to get busy living or get busy dying? Now, I know I'm quoting a movie, but it's a profound question. Do you want to get busy living or do you want to get busy dying? And based on what you say you believe regarding what God has done in this world through Jesus, his son, who died, was buried, and rose again, based on the testimony of the scriptures by which you say, I believe, because it's the means of salvation. It's the means by which I can have life that's truly life. By the basis of that, by the basis of the testimony of, of Enoch, as presented in, in, in Hebrews, the only way we can get busy living is by living by faith. Living by faith in God, like Enoch, is the only way to get busy living. It's the only path to choose. To me, that is not a sus claim. I didn't sleep well Wednesday night. And I know many of you didn't either. And I have to tell you, I was deeply troubled, not just by the events I witnessed in our capital, but I was deeply troubled to the point of grief by the burdens of people around me, the prayer needs that we are receiving here at church to offer up in faith to God. Our heart just... just tragic and just it's heart heavy stuff and it's just been one thing after the other strife division social network was designed i think originally to connect people now social networks facebook and twitter and all the other stuff has been designed to divide people I'm deeply troubled. But this troubled times has really, uh, for me, provided a clarity. The kind of clarity, I think, that is referenced in Ephesians, where Paul says, remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the forces, powers, and authorities of this dark world. Kind of clarity that says, you know, Didi, remember the truth of God's word that what seems to be on the surface, it may not be in reality behind it. And that there are things happening in our society, in our country, that are bringing to light, really bringing to light how things really are and what we really stand for are bringing to light the things that we have made idols. And if we've looked to as our source of security, our source of hope, our source of comfort, that are not grounded in what we receive from God's Word. The events of Wednesday to me, I was talking to a good friend, the events of Wednesday were shocking but not surprising. 
If you've been watching things, you saw that this kind of thing was coming. And what I witnessed was a clash, perhaps a, a clash of, of two stories. I heard one person say that every one of us have this desire to be part of a greater story. And part of our desire to be part of a greater story is we're looking for, to be part of something that gives us purpose and direction, gives us meaning, gives us life. And there are many stories that are competing for our attention in this world. And some have good value and some are sound and some are things that, that have, have, have been beneficial to the world for many years. Some are not. But on Wednesday, I saw a clash of two stories that are competing for the heart and soul for the future of our nation. One story begins with formation of a constitution in the 1700s. The other, a rival, was born in the 1960s. One could be described as the the constitution of liberty. The other can be described as perhaps the constitution of equality. And these two stories, these two warring constitutions are behind the conflicts that we're witnessing in our country and are screaming for us to make a decision to be part of them to join them wholeheartedly and to, to perhaps seek them as to be the defining factor of our lives. But these two stories, like the stories, well, while they may be good and while there may be noble things in them, while there may be things that, that rise up in us that connect us with them, these two stories are going to go the way of all man's stories. They're going to die, and they will not overcome death, and they will run their course. We must remember that as Jesus followers, we have been called to be part of the greatest story, the story of all stories, the story that forms the basis of what is good in every other story. It is a story of God who created the world and created us to be in relationship with Him so that we might have life, a story in which that plan comes undone by man's disobedience, but is remade, redeemed, because God intervened and entered into our world, became a man, lived among us a life that did not qualify death, but instead went to the cross and took on death willingly for us so that those of us who believe that he died for our sins, was buried and rose again, we too might then join in that story and not face death. Our story is the greatest of all stories to be a part of and needs to be the story that becomes our first allegiance and the story by which we frame all other stories in this world that we give ourselves to. I didn't sleep well Wednesday, so I woke up 
Thursday groggy and grumpy and really heartsick. And I went to my chair like I always do. Every dad has a chair, right? And I opened up my Bible and I read the scripture that I had planned to read for Thursday morning. Second Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Apostle Peter writes to Jesus' followers in crisis. Jesus' followers being pressed, being pushed, being forced to draw a line in the sand when it come, came to the demands of competing stories in the society around them. And this is the words he said. Verse 3, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us, us, us is the church he was writing to then and is the church, that is you and me who have made a commitment to make Jesus our Lord and Savior and to walk by faith in him and have chosen to make this community, this body of faith, our church home. He has given us everything we need, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You may participate in the greatest of all stories that is not overcome by death. Having escaped the corruption of the wor in the world caused by evil desires. So now he gets practical doesn't just talk theoretical, but now he says, this is how it works. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, which is another brotherly love within the family, love, that is the love that comes from doing what's best for another regardless of cost to yourself. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, with all of this going on, I have been asking myself and I have had people asking me, what do we do? What do I need to do? I want to do something. I am so angry. I'm so upset. I'm so distraught at the, 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 what I see happening in the world. What do I do? Here's what you do. Here's what you do. If you want to be effective and productive in making a difference in society, you commit to being faithful to the place where God has put you. You do not buy into the lie that being part of some kind of totalitarian ideology, ideology or, or whatever is going to make a difference in the world. You do not buy into the idea that politics will save the world or, or science will save the world or medicine or knowledge or psychology or wealth. No. You recognize the means by which the world is changed is when people of God minister to people who are their neighbors and their work, in their workplace, and in the schools, when they give themselves to live obedient in the faithful 
steps of life like Enoch, living as if God existed and pursuing God in your day-to-day, that is how we change the world. That is how marriages are transformed and questions of identity and gender are answered. That is how children are reared up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they won't depart from it. Productive, responsible, good adults. That's how we transform our communities and we see (laughs) the disappearance of abortions and the wiping away of divorces and the freedom from addictions and the development of a workforce that is second to numb because we have workers who work not unto their bosses but unto the Lord. And we have bosses who treat their workers as people, not cogs in a wheel, not numbers to be, to be tallied, but honor them for who they are and what they produce and encourage them. And don't have other agendas to make their decisions that are based on other stories that have no grounding. But whoever does not have them, these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Do you want to get busy living or do you want to get busy dying? Our proclamation from God's word is if you want to get busy living, then get busy living by faith. Surrender your life to Jesus. Act, operate as if he exists in your day-to-day and seek to pursue him. Give to him your leadership. Seek to learn and to live out scripture. Understand that that this is the, the template that God gives us by which we can live life and know him. Live by faith. Faith like Enoch. A practical way that this comes to life for me is my discipline, and I've shared this with you before. At the end of the year, I do an evaluation of my year with a question asking, what is my one word that God wants me to focus on? That's how I dedicate my days to God and live by faith. It's a practical thing. And what I do is I take some time to be quiet and evaluate where I've been and what, what I have done and what's... I take my time to open up myself to listen to God, read his word, uh, pray, uh, pursue the question of, God, what's your one word for me? I choose one word because it's easy to remember. These long commitments of, okay, here's my list of commitments and, and, and things that I want to do the next year, that gets lost. But if it's one word, it captures it all. It's a great discipline. I, I find that one word that God gives me, and then I share it with those who hold me accountable, those who are in my community of faith that, that are pouring their life into me as we walk together following Jesus. And, and I ask them to, to, to hold me accountable to that and enter into an exercise of pursuing that. Why? So that I can be like Enoch. I can act as if God exists, and I can seek to pursue him in my day-to-day, seeking him in everything. So I write about this in my blog. If you go to our website, mountcarmelchurch.org, you can uh, read more about that process. I encourage you to consider that. 
you want to get busy living or do you want to get busy dying? Only faith like Enoch, faith in Jesus, can promise the life you're looking for. The greatest story of all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I pray that your word, as the Hebrew writer says, will be like a double-edged sword. It will cut those things that need to be cut, but it will also bring life to those things that need life. And I pray that you would give us life. Help us, Lord, to get busy living, for our end is not one of death, but our end in Jesus is one of life. Help us, Lord, to, 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 to not be discouraged by our mundane, to recognize that you call us to the mundane, to be faithful in the mundane, to be faithful in the things of our own houses. Help us, Lord, to, to dedicate our homes, our houses, as it were, to you and, and before we want to start fixing the world. And in fixing our homes and fixing our houses and being faithful to you, Lord, we know that you work to bring about transformation one heart at a time. I pray that you bring to mind those people that you are calling us to, to, to pour into, to be our few, to uh, show them what we have learned in Jesus. We know that many, many of us don't feel like we have the answers, Lord, but Lord, we know what we know. Help us to share what we have in our walk with you because I know you call us just to, to pour ourselves into others by being just one step ahead. Just one step ahead. Lord, I pray you guide us in this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion, I'd ask that you would get that out. Those of you at home, you're welcome to join us. I want you to know that communion is an opportunity for us to pledge allegiance to our King, to the King Jesus who died and rose again. And so the elements that we participate in, with Remind us of the means by which God has called us to be part of the greatest of all stories so that we might live by faith. The bread represents his broken body on the cross. The juice in the cup represents the spilled blood. Both these elements make us think about the cross, but we by faith know that the cross is not the end of the story. Death is not the final thing. Life is. And when we take of communion, we pledge allegiance to a living king who is establishing his kingdom through his kids. And if you are a Jesus follower, you are one of his children who are invited and equipped and empowered to do your part in the family business of God. Let's take the bread. Let us drink of the juice. Lord, we pledge allegiance to you as our king. And you will help, help us, help us to do our part in your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Lord with discernment to make the stands that we need to make I fear I see that there comes a time where we will all have to draw a line in the sand and say no we will no longer adhere to the story you want us to be a part of for it is a story that goes against 
the story that I have committed myself to, the greatest of all stories. There is going to come times where we will have to say as the apostles, choose for yourself who it is better to follow, God or man. I pray you give us wisdom in those decisions, in those places we will have to make those decisions. I pray that you give us the courage to live our lives, as Peter says, Peter says, in such a way that those who accuse us of evil will be embarrassed because their accusations uh, are not grounded because of the love that we show others, that we are the truth, the good news of the Bible lived out to be seen by those who are around us and know us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to get busy living, help us to live in the greatest of all stories. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.